Hey all, welcome to Beyond Consulting, the podcast dedicated to helping listeners navigate a career after consulting. I'm Stephen Haug, host of Beyond Consulting and director at ECA Partners. Each week on the podcast, we host folks who have spent time in consulting, but have since made a pivot or a career change. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to thank ECA Partners for sponsoring Beyond Consulting. ECA is an executive search and on-demand consulting firm that specializes in former consultants and private equity. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Katie Board, Senior Vice President of Strategic Operations at Fanatics and former Senior Manager at Accenture. Katie, welcome to Beyond Consulting. Great. Thanks, Stephen. So Katie, let's go back. I know that you and I have chatted a bit about your consulting days and your path into consulting is different than most of our guests. Can you tell us about how you ended up at Accenture? Sure. Yeah, it was a bit of an interesting path. I'll even start with the first job I had out of undergrad. I wanted to stay in the Pittsburgh area. And this was back, now I'm going to age myself, 2000 to 2003. And at that time, if I was going to stay in Pittsburgh, a more sexy up and coming company was called uh, Free Markets. And Free Markets was interestingly enough founded by a number of former McKinsey consultants and GE executives. There I had a number of clients who were doing some really interesting strategic sourcing, online reverse auctions in the procurement space. But I had a number of clients there. I enjoyed working with the team. I left Free Markets and joined a few other companies, including the Hackett Group, which I assume, you know, quite some folks here might even have heard of. But Free Markets at one point got bought by a company, Ariba, the larger software firm. And I rejoined that same Free Markets team when they then got acquired by Ariba. And I worked in the larger Ariba software, but more so focused on their services consulting. And then that services consulting arm then got bought by Accenture. (laughs) So a long roundabout way to say that, funny enough, when I was part of that Accenture team, I was eight years in after undergrad, but actually still working with some of the same folks I worked at straight after undergrad over at Free Markets. And it was by way of an acquisition route. And it was very beneficial to have gotten acquired by Accenture and be part of a larger, more progressive firm and all the benefits that come with it. During the acquisition, did you feel the same way? Did you know it was going to be beneficial or was there some hesitation? Was there a bit of nervousness around that transition? They did the acquisition in such a way that it certainly wasn't their first rodeo within Accenture. So they knew how to do some of these acquisitions. I think there was really only, call it 50 to 100 of us that then were part of the acquisition and retained on as Accenture employees. And we were held, at least for the first 12 to 18 months, relatively whole. So meaning there was no, the, my clients remain the same, my projects remain the same, my reporting structure remained the same. My director at the time, now I believe over Accenture, in fact, he might even lead Accenture Canada. I'll have to forgive me at some point. I'm going to have to look that up now. But so he remained there. But for quite a bit of us, for a while, we were still just very captive, small and kind of scrappy team within Accenture. But we worked with some of the same partners, or I should say clients. What did your projects look like? I started to lean more towards supply chain, but straight out of undergrad, the type of work I did at free markets was all strategic sourcing and supply chain work. And with Accenture, a lot of it was some supply chain, but quite a bit of cost restructuring efforts. I think it helps to know too that maybe consulting opportunities and consulting engagements do tend to sway with the times. So this was then 
you're talking about 2008 to 2011. So in 2008, you know, there was a real financial crisis brewing. And so the clients I had there, they were across all industries, although I did work extensively within retail at a certain point. And that was cost restructuring. So those efforts, it was looking across, if it was looking at the different warehouses, looking at how they were doing production, looking at their location strategy, their go-to-market strategy, all, especially in those years in that windows, the clients were looking for cost reduction. So you were with that same team for about eight years, as you mentioned, and you hit a lot of pivot points where a lot of folks might have said, hey, this is a good time for me to look outside for a new opportunity. There's some changes going on. So maybe it's a good time for me to make the jump. You hung in there for a while. I'm curious, what was it that made you finally say, now's a good time to look elsewhere? So Stephen, this is the part where maybe I'll get personal, (laughs) but I think everyone can appreciate this. I was consulting and I stayed in it for so long too. I loved working with different clients, different challenges. Every day was new. I found it so interesting. I liked the travel. My husband was a consultant as well. So we would meet up in different areas, but at a certain point, I then got to a point where I had a daughter. Um, I had a baby at home and for myself, and you know, this is back in 2011. So at that time, and I'm sure it's evolved since, but at that time it was pretty clear for the type of growth I wanted to do. I really did want to connect much more. I lived out in the San Francisco. I still live in the San Francisco area. My entire network within consulting was all New York and Chicago. And I really did want to hold back a bit on the travel, but also grow. And I knew, wait a second here. I live in San Francisco. The hot thing, you know, everyone here is within the tech industry and I really wasn't at all networked or connected into it. And that really was a driving force for me was I did want to lessen the travel and I figure, well, if I'm going to live here, I got to lean into what's happening. Good. And then tell us about that transition. I know that you joined Twitter after Accenture. What was Twitter like in those days and what were your responsibilities? Well, Twitter was always never boring. Twitter is never boring. I'll say that much. And for those listening, maybe they'll appreciate as well that, you know, and I've done this since here and there. I was just looking on LinkedIn. I found the gentleman who had a title that seemed to resonate with something maybe they would look to hire me into. So I went to Twitter. There was no job description. I had outreach to one of the executives there, found him on LinkedIn, outreach to him. He responded right away. They had me meet with seven to eight folks and brought me in. So the timing worked really well. Funny enough, MySpace was still in the vernacular, but Twitter was a known brand. Um, it was about three to 400 people at that time. And I transitioned then from what I was doing, the cost restructuring and much of finance and org transformation sort of work. And the role I pivoted into at Twitter was the first manager, director level role for finance operations. And so when I started there, I had one contractor and we were on QuickBooks. (laughs) And we did have ambitions to be public, I think maybe within the first week or so. It all felt like a consulting project, by the way. I think within the first week or so, I was told, we need to, we need, we've got this IPO that's going to be planned. We got to button everything up. We got to get processes in place. We got to document things. We have, there's such a thing as SOX controls. So I led for the first few years in each role at Twitter for me, it's almost, I look at different phases. The first few years I built out our finance operations and really that got into huge automation. Once you get to post IPO, 
hopefully, knock on wood, quite a bit of that is running like a machine. So I did have the sourcing and procurement team, shared services. We transitioned certain work to IBM, contingent workforce, M&A integration, things of the like. I did hit an inflection point. I can get into that actually in terms of being at a company for 10 years is quite interesting and fascinating. So there's different eras there. But just touching back on Twitter at the onset being like a consulting project, I think that for folks listening, there are companies that are that mid-stage where it's just not yet a massive established company. It can really land and give you enough runway and there's enough work to sweat and there's enough ambiguity in the problems and you're solving issues. It feels like one massive consulting project that you almost can't get out of. But it's of your own volition and it's exciting. So I feel like there's some sort of sweet spot in a company's maturity level that really does lend itself pretty well to picking up former consultants. When you were at Accenture, were most of your clients the same size as Twitter was whenever you joined them? No, much bigger. So all the clients I was working with were, I think just about all of them were multinational, larger conglomerates across tons of industries. If I think of it was relative to Twitter, of course, you're talking about having gone from an aerospace and defense company, then into Twitter or going in from a luxury retail provider and then going into Twitter. Yeah, that's quite the leap. So the company culture, the values that are embraced are much different. Not to say one is better than the other, but it's a very different way of working. Did Twitter have a appetite to bring in former consultants or did it just so happen that you reached out to them and through the interview process, they thought you were a good fit? I think at that point, largely speaking, I don't think there was a huge interest per se in bringing in consultants. I don't think it was really discussed or maybe as intentional, but I will say that when you look at hiring managers and really understanding who's hiring for these different roles, is it a company... Or is it, if it's a startup, it becomes a little bit easier to kind of profile the hiring managers if they themselves have a consulting background and or banking. And so the gentleman that I did hit up that was a Twitter exec, he had a banking background. He was very familiar with Accenture, very familiar with consultants in general, and that type of employee and that type of talent. And he specifically knew and that he wanted folks from consulting. I will mention, Stephen, there is also, especially within tech, there can be an air of, wait a second, if I have a consultant, is it going to be a number of fancy power slides and they're not really going to roll up their sleeves to do the work, do the work. And that does become a little bit of a thing. So sometimes you just need to break down your communication style or make some adjustments as to how you approach your work a little bit differently. Because I will say that while there are a lot of people that absolutely appreciate the consultants, there are just as many that might just say, wait a second, I need to make sure that this is somebody that can be very scrappy and they're not going to just speak to me in glossy PowerPoint, but really just boil it down to get the work done. And it's a tough thing to hear because you know that you're just as hard worker and just as scrappy as the next, but you just kind of have to be a little bit aware. I was going to ask, is that a justified concern, you think, or is it just a reputation issue that's not true and consultants should just work hard in those interviews to help the potential employers recognize that they're not just making PowerPoints all day? Yeah, it's probably a little mix of both. Sometimes, and I was the same when I landed, I think the one thing I learned, oh, there's a phrase called, say it like you eat it. 
I think it's an Italian phrase, but I wouldn't know how it's pronounced in Italian, but it is called say it like you eat it, which is just be super straightforward to me. So I think there is a little bit of that that is somewhat warranted when folks come in straight from consulting and they, you know, certain things are over-architected in a way where really just need to cut to the chase of what needs to get done. So there might be elements of it, but otherwise I do find that it's something that it just, you can break through that mold very quickly, even in the interview process when you're not speaking around matters, but just driving straight at the heart of things and are super efficient and effective in your communication. When you left Accenture and joined Twitter and ended up or eventually started to build your own teams, did you specifically look for management consultants to bring on board? Of course I did, Stephen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely did. In fact, I think one of my first hires was somebody that I worked at and had first met at the Hackett Group. And he was just one of the absolute best analysts and senior analysts that I'd had on the time. I knew I could trust him implicitly. I knew he would get the job done. He had an engineering background coupled with consulting, which was really interesting and good. And now he's an exec over at um, Apple. So he was at Twitter for a number of years and then went on to Apple. I found that it was good to staff. There was a balance there. So it was really good to staff. I'm even doing this today, frankly. It can be great to staff with both former consultants as well as those that were of the industry or had kind of been there, done that in the trenches at a like company that can, that's extremely beneficial too. So I didn't want to lose sight of, I needed some team members that were all really strong. Also coming in from tech that knew, okay, I can almost write for you with my eyes closed, what some of the playbooks here need to be. Cause I know how some of the other companies are executing. I've been in the trenches there. Mm. So are you trying to balance your teams with the consulting toolkit uh, along with industry knowledge? Is that the balance you try and get with those two talent pools? Yes. And you had a number of positions at Twitter. Can you walk us through your career from the, the head of finance, director of finance through until when you left? Yeah. So like I had mentioned earlier, the post IPO, I was then senior director, financial operations. It was a sizable team. I'd had directors working for me. They were all exceptional, knocking it out of the park. The things had been built, processes had been documented, processes were being executed. Teams were working really well together. I did get an itch. So that would have been just three years. And it's almost every few years I would get an itch. And I was working closely with our CFO on some M&A work. And we'd had some real frank conversations. So I'm like, I'm ready for a new, it's, I think consultants might face this here and there. You're ready for another challenge, another set of problems that you want to tackle. So I, in conversations with him, I then shifted my role to a strategy and operations. We didn't have any sort of strategy and ops roles. We didn't have any chief of staff. So I would have been the first one at Twitter tapped for that. And what he did, which was amazing, was asking me, you know what, Katie, write down. At that point, I had also proven myself. I was ready to do the hard work and I had the energy for it. So he'd ask, you know, Katie, write down what's your ideal job here. (laughs) And so I wrote out a one pager and I said, I want to learn. And so I want to have a front row seat to some of the problems. And I feel very comfortable when problems are thrown my way. So I did then transition into what was more of a chief of staff role working for the CFO. 
He became Twitter's COO and I worked under him for a few years in that capacity. So, you know, you're working with finance and then eventually it's the revenue team, the sales team, the partnerships team. We had a, by then a very large global footprint. So you're talking about continuing to expand that and how are you managing across the different lines of business. And then I also spent a number of years working then for our CMO, um, who also was the head of people as well as her head of strategy and operations. And in all of those roles, I feel like I just wore a ton of hats. And so I feel very, very, very lucky that it was almost, I think it was almost a consultant's dream. I mean, I really was able to get a front row seat to a lot of things and um, be on the cusp and helping to drive some of our largest cross-functional initiatives. What were some of the major parts of the consulting toolkit that you took with you to each of those positions? Mm. So I guess there's both the hard parts of the toolkit and the softer parts of the toolkit, perhaps. So if I get into the quote unquote harder parts of the toolkit, so you think of some of the frameworks that are used in consultancy. So this gets into those weekly flash templates or, you know, the different playbooks that you start to pull together, anything with some good Harvey balls on it. There were ways in which we were able to formalize the thinking of um, what the teams were up to and what we wanted to do using those frameworks. Otherwise, what happens is, and sometimes actually as a consultant, you take it for granted because you've just been only in meetings where a consultant is in. <laughs> but if you unplug a consultant or a consultancy from the room, it can sometimes be a rather nebulous conversation across two different teams as to what the problems are and the path forward. What the consultants bring when it comes to the hard part of the toolkit if you will, is those frameworks, boiling it all down to the basics, helping to stack rank and prioritize the problems, pushing the team members to come up with creative solutions. So you think through all those different ways in which, and I'm thinking of all, even when you get into the graphics and how you boil all that down. And then I call those the harder parts. And then there's the softer parts, which is just those people skills that you really do hone as a consultant. And of course that really applies because when you're talking about broad cross-functional projects, you know, sometimes there's matters too, where one executive feels very strongly that the path forward is ABC and another executive feels very strongly the path forward is XYZ. So I think it comes into, as a consultant, you learn those soft skills of trying to navigate those conversations. The fact that each executive is doing exactly and expressing exactly what they deeply do believe, giving them the benefit of the doubt, it's what each of them uniquely believe is the best thing for the company. And just really trying to look at things more subjectively and sometimes agreeing to disagree, but it's all those soft skills that need to be navigated. After spending about 10 years at Twitter, what was it that made you finally look outside the company for a new opportunity? Um, so it was not Elon Musk. So Elon would have been just like a few weeks, maybe a few months after. <laughs> I had been there for a number of years. I saw a number of different leaders. I feel like I had been there for different quote unquote eras. My 10 year anniversary coincided with Jack Dorsey's departure. We had new leadership. I felt like I had played a role and had a great seat at each point, but I also felt as if there really wasn't 
another iteration of Twitter that I perhaps hadn't already seen, which is kind of ironic because of course the company drastically changed in the 12 months since I left. But I really did feel like I had done so much. There was an interesting bit of, if I think about my move from way back from consulting into Twitter, I mean, I was making good money as a consultant and I had to take a pay cut. We can get into all that. I'm very straightforward, but to get into quote unquote industry. So from Accenture to Twitter, I had to put a chip on myself and believe in myself and believe that I could make this move and make the most of it. And I absolutely did. Moving from Twitter into my current role, that was, again, you're at a position where Twitter's post-IPO, there's both financial considerations as well as I have a sizable team. This thing is moving forward. I wanted to take a jump to something that was smaller, way earlier in the product stage. Also, I just wanted something different. And I did consistently think back to my early days at Twitter and a bit of wanting to mirror what I absolutely loved and adored about, you know, those first few years. I want to understand more about your role at Fanatics, but as you mentioned, the move out of consulting, especially if you've been in consulting for a number of years, it's going to very likely be a significant cut, at least in the cash part of your compensation package. How do you recommend the consultants think about that whenever they're on the job market? Yeah, it is. I put it in a spreadsheet. I mean, some stuff you just got to take a little bit of risk, but I remember I needed to see maybe it was 1.5 or 2x my Accenture expected compensation. So I needed to see that with any new offer on paper. So let's say, for instance, I was looking at my consulting, what I, all what I was bringing in, I'm going to make this up. Let's say all in, that was $100 for the year. And then I mapped out what's okay. Now I expect it's going to be, it's $100 this year, put in a spreadsheet for my four-year run. It's going to be 110 the next year, 120 the next year, 130 the year after. When it came to what were the offers I was getting outside of consulting, I needed my spreadsheet, even if it was just in paper and it's fairy dust because it's all pre-IPO, I needed the spreadsheet to at least tell me that I was getting a 2x return by year four. So just keep in mind, if Accenture was 100 and then it went 110, 120, 130, Accenture was 100 and it was pretty known. You go to a place that's pre-IPO today, that 100, you might see on that spreadsheet that your first year is 50 or 60. But incrementally, you've got another, call it 75, I don't know, that is all paper and it might be equity or something like that. And then each year you map out your subsequent years. You need to see that there's going to be something. When I say on paper, I'm really talking about the unknown if it's pre-IPO. And then once you, it depend, you'll want to land somewhere where you have some level of confidence on what perhaps are their comp philosophies. If it's a bigger company, they will have a POV on that. Um, you can speak with, there's great networks to connect into a former consultants that can help you like really think through that move. But there is a good bit of faith. So the move from Accenture to Twitter and then similar Twitter, because you had asked about Twitter over to Fanatics or getting into where it's then again, pre-IPO. I mean, some of that you just need to take a little bit of a leap of faith and trust in yourself. When you're leaving consulting, is there a certain point in that consulting career ladder where you can make the jump optimally? You know, is it two years in, what's your manager, partner level? Any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think that it probably is the case that it's going to be the easiest to transition, call it perhaps at manager level. But even at that, honestly, I think as you progress and you say, okay, I've been in consulting for quite some time now, I'm well beyond um, manager, senior manager, director, or principal, your network of former consultants that are out there, that's really where I would tap into because they understand, appreciate, and intrinsically just get the value that you're going to bring in right away. But there is absolutely some inflection points that you do hit where you do need to kind of just do a quick gut check. Would I offer more value outside? I also did believe, and I don't know perhaps if this is naive or not, but I do recall now, especially now that we're talking about it, I haven't thought of this in years. When I left Accenture, it was such a big company. I just believed, I had faith in myself that if I didn't like quote unquote industry, I'm like I could always go back in consulting. That's how I felt. And I don't know if that was too much ego or if that was naive, but I felt like, wait a second, I have proven myself here. I feel like I could fall back into this if I really needed to. It felt like those companies were big enough and there was enough at that time, certainly enough jobs, enough opportunities. So I, I, I wanted to give myself a year or two somewhere else. I think it's a good way to think about it in terms of how to not be so worried about the risk. It's not crazy for you to go back to the consulting firm you came from or any of the other major consulting firms. And there's plenty of boutique firms out there that would love to have that big four MBB toolkit come into their door as well. It's almost as if as it relates to leaving consultancies and then you could almost view it as a bit of a, a sabbatical, I suppose. Give yourself a one or two year sabbatical. And if you really don't like it, you could go back into consulting. You're right. There's plenty of opportunities that are out there, but there's some real value in making the leap and trusting yourself and worst case scenario, honestly, you did it for one or two years and you just further expanded your network, if nothing else, which can really be highly beneficial for you long-term regardless. That's a good point. That consulting plus industry experience makes people way more comfortable about bringing you onto the team because they know that you're able to stick around on projects. You're probably able to execute on it and it helps employers overcome that worry about you being able to actually be in the weeds and stick around and, and talk with industry folks as well. So that's a good point. Let's jump ahead to your current role at Fanatics. I know you've been there a little over a year at this point, if I'm not mistaken. Go from a social media company to what I think of as an e-commerce company. Let me know if I'm wrong there. Can you tell me about what made you make that decision and about your role inside of Fanatics? Yeah, Fanatics is, yeah, as many people know, especially any sports fans know, we have all the merchandise and a major commerce arm there. So Fanatics.com, for anyone that doesn't know, you can get exceptional sports merch. Um, the interesting bit, I'm with Fanatics betting and gaming. And so Fanatics is constructed in such a way we've got a collectibles team, betting and gaming, its own entity, as well as, of course, you have the merchandise. Really what we're looking to do is build out that broader sports ecosystem. Betting and gaming, from our angle, we have a product right now that's in beta, and the Fanatics app will compete with the likes of FanDuel and DraftKings and some of the others out there. So it's a really interesting sports book is an interesting space. It's completely new to me. Obviously I don't come from that industry, but the transition from what was social media to sports book, we're actually hiring quite a few folks from tech 
there's a bit of a tech element in terms of the company culture and how we're addressing things. It's also, I think when I joined Fanatics Betting and Gaming, I want to say maybe that team was about 30. Now we're at north of 300. We'll be pretty sizable here in the coming months. So the growth has been really rapid. I mean, there's certainly some parallels between my time at Twitter and when I joined Twitter and now over at Fanatic Sportsbook. Very good. And before we wrap up, Katie, is there any advice that you can give any of the current consultants thinking about the next step in their career? Yeah, I think the one thing of advice, actually of everything, I would just say, don't look at any decisions as permanent. Take a chance on yourself. I think most of the folks listening here, especially if they're doing their diligence, they're listening to the podcast, they're doing the research, they're sharp enough. They're probably analyzing everything in a spreadsheet right now. And they're also those sharp enough to do all the research to get an understanding of what are the companies out there? What are the industries I might be leaning into, et cetera. But I would say, talk to former consultants. There are absolutely roles, especially when you look at corporate development or finance, sales finance, strategy operations that lend themselves really well for a natural landing spot for former consultants. But what I would say is if you're kind of wrestling with the idea of that move away from consulting, it doesn't have to be a permanent decision. No decision needs to be. So take a little bit of a chance on yourself, make the leap. And I really do think that it's worth it. And as I noted, I mean, honestly, I left Accenture and joined Twitter and I remember having the offer in hand. And yes, it was less money as we've talked about how those comp packages can be different. I remember thinking, if nothing else, I will leave this company in a year. And if nothing, I will just have such a stronger network within tech. And that's what I knew I needed. So I say just take the risk. It's fun. There's lots of great stuff out there. That's great. Thanks so much, Katie. Thanks for joining us today. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks. Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers.